Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Before the establishment of a new nation on the North American continent in 1776, British subjects in the colonies were not free to practice their faith. Catholic schools were prohibited, and affluent families had to look overseas for a place to send their sons for a classical Catholic education. The northern French town of Saint-Omer provided one such option. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and today on Catholic Baltimore, we will be talking about a remarkable school in France that had a profound impact on some remarkable Marylanders. Events held in Saint-Omer in October 2017 marked the arrival 275 years ago at the English Jesuit School by American student Daniel Carroll, and later his brother John and cousin Charles. A museum exhibit, dedication of a newly restored chapel, a Franco-American friendship mass, and a roundtable on religious freedom celebrated the connections between Maryland and France from the early days of a new nation to today. Daniel Carroll of Rock Creek, born in 1730, was one of only five people who signed both the Articles of Confederation and the U.S. Constitution. He first arrived at the College of English Jesuits in 1742 and stayed there for six years. Daniel's brother John, born in 1735, and cousin Charles Carroll of Carrollton, born in 1737, arrived at Saint-Omer in 1748. Inspired by the Jesuits teaching at the school, John joined the order, became a priest, and eventually was named the first bishop in the United States in 1789, when the Diocese of Baltimore covered the original 13 colonies. Charles was the only Catholic to sign the Declaration of Independence. Before the three Carroll men became influential in politics, government, business, and the church, they were exposed to a well-rounded education at the English College. Archbishop William E. Lurie of Baltimore attended the events in Saint-Omer, and he reflected on his predecessor's time at the school. Uh, John Carroll um, went back to Maryland and became the leader of the Jesuits, and then uh, kind of the leader of the American clergy. Uh, Pope Pius VI appointed him the first Bishop of Baltimore in 1789, and uh, I am the 16th Archbishop of Baltimore, so I am John Carroll's successor. Every day I am reminded as Archbishop of Baltimore that I am building on the foundation that John Carroll laid. It was a brand new country with religious freedom, no established church, and in many ways, uh, John Carroll had uncharted waters for organizing and establishing the Roman Catholic Church in the United States. Because of his formation here at Saint-Omer, uh, because his family was so connected with the founding of the country and the spirit of patriotism, he was able to blaze a trail 
to find the right path uh, to uh, establish the church in the United States such that uh, it is separate from the government um, and yet it enjoys liberty and it contributes to the good of society. We are still building on John Carroll's wisdom to this very day. And I am uh, honored to be the successor, the 16th Archbishop of Baltimore. Carroll Carter Sr., a direct descendant of Daniel Carroll of Rock Creek by about seven generations, his wife Rosemary and their son, Carroll Carter Jr., joined the Archbishop's delegation. Carroll Sr., who now lives in Washington, D.C., noted that his famous ancestor came to St. Omer at great hardship. We came to St. Omer today for the rededication of the chapel that is uh, here. It's important to our history and American history because Saint-Omer was the place to which three important um, American patriots from the American Revolution left Maryland and came to Saint-Omer to go to school because in Maryland it was against the law for Catholics to be educated. And, and San Omer was the place where they were to go to school. And as it turned out, all three of them spent some number of years here, 12 more years before returning to the United States for the rest of their life. Carol Carter Jr. noted that a new Foundation for Transatlantic Values hoped to renew this connection. It's also important to add that the Santo Mare Foundation is being established in an uh, educational way to have an um, exchange program between those uh, scholars in France, Georgetown University, and uh, St. Mary's in Baltimore to foster the openness of the whole transatlantic values, uh, the openness of education, the openness of tolerance, and this is the uh, best time to be uh, doing that now, especially with everything that's going on in the world. So we're very excited to be here. The Carters were surprised to learn that a documentarian working on a film about the Carols were, had learned of a descendant of Charles Carroll of Carrollton who lived in France and worked as an ambulance driver during World War I. That's interesting and helpful. Uh, it's not surprising because uh, all of those carols lived in, in Europe for quite a long time after they were at Saint-Omer. Uh, for example, one, John Carroll, who later became the bishop, spent uh, something more than two years uh, throughout all of Europe uh, learning uh, more 
with respect to his family's history and and uh, the development of the United States. It's interesting that uh, Charles Carroll of Carrollton also had this great-grandson who lived in France and also that there was a copy supposedly of the Declaration of Independence that was found which makes this a very exciting um, documentary that I know you're working on. But to Dad's point earlier about the Carols being educated in saint Omer, it was so difficult to travel back and forth from the transatlantic. Uh, we had the beauty of Air France today, but they had to come over in um, packet ships, and uh, it was quite a, um, quite a journey. So they stayed over here for a long time. And I believe I'm accurate in saying that John Carroll didn't return to uh, the U.S. until he was about 40 years old when he began his missions as a, a parish priest and then became um, the first bishop and uh, founded Georgetown University, etc. So the um, work uh, that he did in Europe and all the traveling that Dad was referring to was all part of the important education that he brought back to uh, the United States and the forming of the United States and our educational system beginning in 1789 at Georgetown University. The delegation from Maryland attended several events in Saint-Omer, October 13th through the 16th, including the inauguration of a newly restored Chapel of the Jesuits that had been in use at the time the Carrolls attended the English College. Archbishop Laurie was the homilist for a French-American Friendship Mass at the Cathedral Basilica of Notre Dame in the center of the town. The Archbishop also celebrated an intimate Mass in the chapel, probably the first time it was used for worship since the French, Re French Revolution in the late 1700s. After the break, we will hear from more of the people who participated in the events in Saint-Omer, including Maryland Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Friends and family of Mark Passione gathered at the Monsignor O'Dwyer Retreat House in Sparks October 20th to honor the late Archdiocesan Youth Minister and former Director of the Division of Youth and Young Adult Ministry. Father Michael Triplett, pastor of Our Lady of Grace in Parkton, blessed a processional cross designed by local artist Stephen St. Amant and dedicated in Passione's memory. The one-of-a-kind crucifix, made of wood and canvas, took hundreds of hours to make. Carol Passione, Mark Passione's widow and the former pastoral life director at St. Pius X in Rogers Forge, began veneration of the newly blessed cross. Carol Passione told the Catholic Review that as she approached the cross, she felt overwhelmed two and a half years after her husband's death because people continued to gather because of him. Quote, that cross just culminated that for me today, she said, tears in her eyes. They, the people attending the Mass, reflect who Mark was, and Mark reflected who they are. End quote. The acceptance of artificial contraception by some Christian churches and communities beginning in the 1930s has led to, quote, the monstrosity of what is today known as procreative medicine, end quote, which includes abortion, according to German Cardinal Walter Brandmuller. Inaugurating an October 28 conference anticipating the 50th anniversary of Blessed Paul VI encyclical, Humanae Vitae, Cardinal Brandmuller told participants that in ignoring traditional church teaching, men and women today have seated themselves, quote, on the throne of the Creator, end quote. In Humanae Vitae, published in 1968, Pope Paul underlined the responsibility that goes with human sexuality and marriage. 
For more on this and other stories, visit catholicreview.org. From the Catholic Review Newsroom, I'm Kevin Parks. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs, and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish and everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. We're back on Catholic Baltimore looking at events that took place in mid-October in a small town in northern France called Saint-Omer. 275 years ago, American student Daniel Carroll and later his brother John and cousin Charles attended the College of English Jesuits when they were in their teens. Harper Wright, a direct descendant of Charles Carroll of Carrollton, now lives in England. He has spent decades researching the lineage of his famous family. My mother was Helen Marguerite Carroll. She, um, she was the great-great-great-granddaughter of Charles Carroll of Carrollton. And she, she was born in Baltimore and grew up in uh, Howard County, Maryland. Um, and so I was actually born in Baltimore myself, and, uh, but grew up in the West Indies but I spent many summers at my grandmother's and then my mother's house in, in Howard County. As a person that has been interested for probably 50 years in the family history, um, I'm always trying to find out more, explain more, and I see part of my responsibility is passing on this information and interest to the next generation because they're the ones that are going to have to carry it forward, and uh, I try and find different ways to engage this more electronic generation and I use a lot of um, internet tools to share information with cousins who um, are far apart, some in South Africa, Canada, um, Australia, New Zealand, as well as Texas to California and uh, Massachusetts and of course Maryland. 
Harper Wright said that he's always been aware of the values that Charles Carroll of Carrollton had. Well, I've always uh, been conscious um, since uh, going to Mass at Dragon Manor, knowing that Charles Carroll of Carrollton was buried under the altar there. And all through his, everything I've read about him over the past years has always been about his, um, well, his piety, but his trying to live a good life for the benefit, not just of himself, but also his whole family and the community. And this comes through in his letters, and if you read books such as um, Princes of Ireland, Planters of Maryland, or the other, any of the other biographies of Charles Carroll, it really comes stressed that, that he tried to instill values. And here this weekend, we've heard a lot about the new foundation for transatlantic values, which is not a, uh, a mechanism for, for making money or anything like that. It's a mechanism for creating... Um, an interest in values in the in the younger generations, especially arranging exchanges of students and and other other ways like that. Maryland Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford and Maryland Secretary of State John Wobensmith also attended the festivities in Saint Omer. We talked with Lieutenant Governor Rutherford about the impact the Carols had on Maryland. The connection between Maryland and really the founding of Maryland is right here uh, with St. Omer. Um, it is, you know, the Carroll family, our founding fathers, they were fighting for religious freedom, and uh, that is something that is important to our country, but it is, I would say, largely based in Maryland. And what's the difference that the Carrolls made, both uh, Daniel, Charles, and John, from their education here? what they brought back to the Maryland and the U.S.? Well, you heard them talk about uh, John's impact on uh, Georgetown University, one of the stellar universities in our country. Um, I mentioned before I'm a graduate of Archbishop John Carroll in Washington, D.C., so that has carried on. But uh, in the case of Georgetown, um, there's some that feel that he modeled uh, Georgetown, the development of Georgetown, after his education here in France in St. Omer. Uh, of course, Daniel... Uh, being involved in the um, uh, Articles of Confederation and the Constitution and um, being one of the authors of the Tenth Amendment. Uh, that's the foundation that we still are governed under. Um, and, of course, Charles. Charles is still, a, or his family, uh, direct descendants, live in Howard County, where I live, uh, not far from me. But uh, his, his signing of the Declaration of Independence, and as you may recall, um, you were really putting not only your life in, on the line, your family on the line, for just signing a, a document saying that you're going to be independent from the, uh, the great power of Great Britain. So, yes, it's extremely important, and uh, we really appreciate that heritage in terms of Maryland. So that was 250, 275 years ago. What impact does that have for Marylanders today? Well, I think it's always good to understand your history. Um, and we, we grapple now with the balance between religious freedom and um, freedom from religion. And so that is something we need to continue to talk to people about. The reasons that uh, Calvert, 
wanted to be the Calvary family, First Lord of Baltimore, wanted to have um, Maryland be a place for those who were fleeing religious oppression, particularly the Catholics. And the fact that the Carols had to come to St. Omer because they could not uh, practice freely in, or at least educate freely in the United States or what were the, co the, uh, the colonies and in Maryland. And so I think it's important that when we have this discussion of freedom, freedom of religion, freedom from religion, the separation of government and religion, that we keep in mind that we don't want to stop people from practicing. And when we start putting, let's say, restrictions of some sort, uh, that we don't want to stop practicing when those calls come out. And we remind people of why we have the, the Constitution and the amendments and the, and the sacrifices of the Carroll family. On the way back to Maryland, Archbishop Lurie reflected on the events in Saint-Omer. I've taken away a deepened sense of our history and heritage as well as the deepening and expansion of friendships between Saint-Omer and Baltimore, but also a new determination to build upon those relationships uh, to learn from our history and heritage as we seek to move ahead uh, with our mission. Why is it helpful to know where the Carols went to school and see where they were shaped in their formation to understand how they brought that back to America? Uh, several reasons. Number one, it was an expression of what I call a discreet but resolute Catholic faith that uh, in a time when it was out of the question that the that Daniel Carroll, that Charles Carroll, John Carroll could matriculate at a leading university in the colonies when it was out of the question of getting a Catholic education in England, that they took the extraordinary step of um, sending uh, these boys over uh, to Saint-Omer, uh, knowing that it was dangerous, knowing they might not see them again. Um, that certainly is um, an important point, what they did to defend their faith. Secondly, um, what they thought about education was important. Uh, I think that uh, uh, the Carroll family saw the education that they would receive at Saint-Omer as a way of preserving the faith, as a way of uh, making uh, these young men, as, as Charles himself said, not only learned men, uh, but also uh, men of uh, piety. And thirdly, it's important to know what type of education they got, which was uh, deeply humanistic. Uh, it was uh, the wisdom of Greece and Rome, uh, yet seen through the lens of the faith. It was... Uh, a, a, a familiarity with languages, with literature, with the science of the day. And they really became such well-rounded individuals and really were formed for the tasks, the mission that they would have in life in the formation of a new republic and in establishing the church in that new republic. What was this like for you as the 16th successor of John Carroll to be here where he went to school? Uh, I came with uh, a lot of emotion. 
uh, I came to say uh, a, a word of thanks to uh, Santo Mare and uh, um, it seemed to me also that it was a pilgrimage that was made because we were walking in the footsteps of the carols. And, and thirdly, um, I think it uh, gave me a new sense of the history and heritage which as Archbishop of Baltimore uh, I need to preserve and to hand on. The link between Maryland and a Catholic school in Saint-Omer, France was reconnected by the Archbishop's trip in October, renewing the heritage of the Carols, who were so influential in Maryland and the new United States of America. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Fifteen years after the Catholic bishops of the United States drafted mandatory policies for protecting children and holding abusers accountable in the Catholic Church, the Archdiocese of Baltimore is conducting a prayer and education campaign this fall. It will remind its institutions and its people of the priority and importance of child protection. For more information about this initiative and about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.